Let's just give our God another praise, huh? How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Glory to your matchless name, Lord. Well, good morning, new community. It's always a pleasure to be before you. If you don't know me, my name is Tim White. I am the care minister. Uh, so I never take it lightly when I am before you. So may the Lord form my words this morning. I just want to give a thank you just to all the people who serve, who make Sunday morning possible. Worship team, the media, our youth. So thankful for what they do. <clears throat> oh, so looking forward to today, this week. Um, as it was mentioned, I'll be continuing our sermon series, and this is that Holy Week, uh, the days leading up to Good Friday that we look forward to, and so I'll be dealing with that a little bit today, or a whole lot today, actually. Palm Sunday, the day that we reflect on Christ our King, and I'm actually going to start us off with a bit of an exercise <clears throat> with just that. You can pull up that picture. <laughs> All right, so just an image of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, that people threw down their cloaks and palm branches. And if you grew up like me, the kids always came in marching with palm branches. We don't have that now. My wife kept saying we should get some, and we didn't, so my apologies. But um, a wonderful pastime, but this is such a, a beautiful picture and a beautiful moment. And, you know, as Jesus is approaching the city, the crowd comes to meet him shouting. And this is where you all come in. If you ever wanted to be an extra in a film, this is your chance, your opportunity. So if you can go to the next slide, we are going to say this together. But I need you to imagine yourself as a part of the crowd to feel what they're saying, what they're, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. So I'll just read through it. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So let's just read through it, and then we're going to do it for real. Okay, one, two, three, go. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. All right, is that enough of a warm-up for you? Okay, so here's what we need to do. I need you to put yourself back in the crowd, okay? I will ask you all to stand. Stretch if you need to. But think about that crowd and Jesus is coming and what they felt, what they're thinking. And let's say it for real. One, two, three. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hallelujah. All right. All right. You may be seated. Thank you for joining me in that. And it is so true. He is the Savior. And this is recorded in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, Mark 11, verses 1 through 11, Luke 19, verses 28 through 44, and John 12, verses 12 through 19. These are beautiful words, 
but I want to highlight the actual political nature of these words. This entire statement is extremely political. As we talk about being good news people, that's what we're going to focus on today. We need to get a little political. Jesus, Savior, if you think about what's happening, uh, the crowds are saying, and this is actually a fulfillment of the words, the, the prophecy of Zechariah, uh, coming from chapter 9, verses nine, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, but I want to talk about the crowd because, yes, they are believing in him. They're shouting his name, but what are they really thinking? You see, you have to understand a few different things. There's political unrest. Uh, there's corruption among uh, religious leaders. There's, uh, the Jews are under Roman occupation, okay? So when they're talking about Savior, King, they're coming around Jesus. It's very political. In fact, let me tell you, the, the term king is not a light term. During that time, you don't just use the term king. Using that term could get you killed because it wasn't a game. People understood kings and kingdoms. And so when they are calling out to Jesus, king of Israel, I think they have a little something else in mind. Of course, he is king, but they didn't fully understand the, the scope of why he came. So they're thinking, this is the guy we're going to rally behind to take out these Romans. They are thinking this is the moment we've been waiting on, including his followers, his disciples. They, were, they followed Jesus. They listened to his teachings, but they didn't fully understand the scope of what he came to do. So they're just like any moment, any day. And you have this triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the people all around. This has to be the moment. This has to be the moment. Remember, Peter, James, and John, they, they saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where he revealed his glory. This has got to be the moment where he shows up and shows out. Politically, this is what the people are thinking. Also, the Jewish leaders, there's some concerns that they have as well. You see, just prior to this, Jesus did something that no one could deny. He raises Lazarus. And for the, Jews, the Jewish leaders, this was like the last straw. Jesus has been doing all kinds of signs they can't deny, but then he raises Lazarus. And it's all kinds of problems happening. See, a little bit about me, I, I love documentaries. And, you know, when I was a kid, my dad was always watching these, you know, black and white films, these old documentaries, you know, who killed JFK, that kind of stuff, right? Conspiracy. And I never understood like, dad, why are you watching this old boring stuff? It's funny now at the age of 40, I'm doing the same thing. I'm like my dad. But, but let, me, let me tell you why I, I say this, because I love 
hearing about history and all of the events, the events surrounding what happened and when and who did what. What were people thinking? What were they feeling? And that's what I'm hoping to bring this morning as we, we, we prepare for Holy Week and we're, we're thinking about what Jesus did on the cross. But I want to highlight things that were happening, how people were thinking, how things were moving to get to this point. Of course, he came to lay down his life, but you have to see how the conditions were being set too to get to the point of crucifixion. So I want to read to you John chapter 11, verses 45 to 57. John chapter 11, verses 45 to 57. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things. So this is the chapter where um, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And had seen these things, Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did, now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. I need you to hear the political climate right now. Right, right. You, you see, we, we smile and we're happy about Jesus being king, but everybody's not happy about that. You know, everybody didn't like Jesus. Jesus is ruffling feathers. Jesus is crossing boundaries. Jesus is pissing people off and not apologizing for it. And so you see these religious leaders coming together like, we got to do something about this, y'all. <laughs> they, they couldn't deny he raises Lazarus, and many Jews started believing in Jesus. You can't deny what he just did. We saw this. They can't deny it. We can't explain it away. But this is causing a problem for our country. Let me tell you why this is a problem politically. Because, see, if all the Jews are following this man, well, now this is going to get on Rome's radar. You see, they're under Roman occupation, and the Romans are bent on maintaining Roman rule. But if there's a, 
a, a leader that the people are willing to get behind, there might be revolt. There might be insurrection. This is a problem. So the Jewish leaders are thinking about this. If everybody follows him, the Romans are going to shut it down. We got to stop this guy. This is problematic. He, they will take our nation. They will take everything from us. So it's fitting. Yeah, let one guy die. So we know why Jesus, Jesus is explaining why he's going to die. But I need you to see what's happening the minds of people that lead to that. They see, they, they are, it, it's God's will that he sacrificed himself, but people are making their own decisions, right? They're making their own choices to lead to this. And this is what happened prior to the triumphal entry, okay? And on top of that, if you look at John chapter 12, they not only want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus too. <laughs> Imagine, people want to kill you because Jesus raised you up. They want to get rid of you. That's how they feel. Like, bro, why? He's the evidence. We got to get, <laughs> take this brother out. See the climate that Jesus, remember, Jesus is coming into a real world. Remember, he's not levitating. He's walking on the dust. His feet are dirty. He's in the midst of this world. There's some stuff happening. All right. So we see conspiracy. We see agendas at work. I mentioned the documentaries. I was, on Friday, we were just at a uh, Civil War museum, actually, up in Kenosha. And that focused on kind of like, the upper Middle West and how they view things with the Civil War, how they got involved. It was just, I just love history. And it's one of those museums I can't get through quickly. It's just, I'm reading every single thing. You know, it's like, and it was crazy. It's like every time I would go somewhere, it would just open up more and there are like more exhibits. And like, I just love that stuff. It was like that when we went to the, um, the Holocaust Museum in Skokie, we didn't get through it all because there was just so much to read and think about. So I, I just love seeing how, even though parts of history are hard to look at, I just like to see how people were thinking, what was happening, what was, what was going on. Are you getting the scene right now? All right, that's what I want to set today. As I mentioned, king is not a cute term. It has real meaning. It's a political term because it has to do with rule. You know, I know sometimes we, we turn things into metaphors and Jesus is king of my heart, but this has greater implications beyond just that. You got to understand people in that day, you say king, they know what that means. And then you hear a, a just king, there's a righteous king, there's a caring king. Who is this king that washes my feet? That's unheard of. Kings don't do that. Kings doing the jobs of a servant? What kind of king is this? Oh. As I said, for many of them, it's insurrection time. But Jesus has another mission. He's got another Plan. So I want to fast forward a little bit. Triumphal entry, you see the Jewish leaders conspiring. Now I want to fast forward to Jesus' arrest. 
There's an interesting conversation that happens. So, of course, Jesus is arrested. I'm going to skip a little, a little, a little quickly. Um, but, you know, Judas betrays him. Right? They arrest Jesus. He's brought before the high priest in an illegal trial. Okay? They have no accusation against him. That Nothing seems to stick. You know, false, false accusations. And then they send him to Pilate. Pontius Pilate. Who is Pilate? Pilate represents the Roman Empire. He is the governor of that region. It is his job to maintain Roman rule. This is highly political. They send Jesus to him, and here's the conversation. John 18, verses 28 through 37. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your own law. See, let me pause right there. Even though the Jewish people were under Roman occupation, they still were allowed to govern themselves for the most part, right? They were allowed to have their customs, their feasts, their traditions. They just had to pay tribute to Caesar. So that's why he says this, judge him by your own law, okay? I'm not interfering with your business, right? <laughs> Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Events that are shaping. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? <laughs> Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Where are you getting your information? I just want to know. See, you know what I love about Scripture. See, we don't get the tone. We don't hear how people are saying stuff. So you kind of have to have your, use some imagination. You know what I'm saying? How, you know, Jesus kind of getting a little smart with the brother. Like, hey, who told you? Really? I just want to know. Okay. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Paul's right there. Good news, people. We've got to remember, we represent a kingdom that's not from here. Mind you, this is a political conversation. Jesus is talking to a Roman official who gives orders and takes orders. He's under command. He gives commands. Uh, Jesus, I mean, he understands how kingdoms 
operate. So this is what they're talking about. Are you the king? Pilate understands what a king is. The people of Israel understand what a king is, but maybe they're not quite understanding the scope of what Jesus came to do. Jesus answered, said, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What I love about this is because Pilate represents a kingdom, an empire that at that time was said to last forever, the supreme authority. Not realizing he's talking to Jesus, who for us is the king of kings. For us, he is the true king whose kingdom will never end. So he makes it clear, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, my kingdom is not a product of any human idea. He didn't say his kingdom hasn't come, but my kingdom's not from here. So if we're gonna, have to, if we're gonna understand Jesus, we can't understand him based on our human ideas. And in this, Jesus disappoints so many people because he doesn't do what we expect. He's, he's not doing what the people are expecting. This is insurrection time, and yet Jesus is preparing to die. As Hannah mentioned in the first sermon, that Jesus is about to let the Roman Empire crush him before an ultimate purpose. He is driven by the will of the Father. He's not interested in using the political structures of his day to accomplish the mission. He has no interest in using Rome as a tool. Because for, for some of us, it, it, it seems like this would make perfect sense. I mean, Jesus, why don't you work something out with Pilate? Why, why can't the kingdom operate this way, right? Like, Jesus, just, just strike a deal with him. Forget the Jewish people, strike a deal with him, and you can accomplish your mission that way. After all, they are the supreme power, so you just work through that. He doesn't do that. He has every opportunity to, but he doesn't do that. He has every opportunity to declare himself king, to show his glory, and shut the whole thing down, but he doesn't do that. So he disappoints the Jewish people. What is Jesus doing? He's ushered in the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom of God. Mind you, kingdom is not a cute term. It has real world meaning. They understand it is the rule and the reign of God. It is where God's rule, God's ethics, God's law, God's truth is fully known and fully on display. That's the kingdom of God where God's presence is felt. And for that, I have to give a little history. Because see, Jesus is dealing with something on a higher level. He's dealing with a higher issue. And, and see, that's why he doesn't come and just tell Rome to stop doing whatever they're doing. I mean, he doesn't use this as an opportunity to scold Pilate and say, here's how you need to change. Because Jesus isn't interested in using Rome as a tool. He brings his own. He doesn't want to reform our little kingdoms. He brings his own kingdom. You know what that's like? 
It's like somebody, you call a plumber to come to your house and fix something. They tell you how much it's going to cost and say, okay, you ready? I'll do my work. You have any tools I can borrow? It just doesn't happen. Jesus comes with his own kingdom. The kingdom of God. I've got to go back to the garden because that's where all of this started. This is where the kingdom of God, we see it on display, beginning from in the beginning, God. Mind you, the rule and reign of God always starts with God. Good news people, we always start with God on any issue. God creates everything beautiful, perfect, wonderful. Everything is operating according to God's design. That is the epitome of God's kingdom. But sin enters, disobedience, and, and, and I, have to, I have to let you know something. See, this is bigger than just a piece of fruit. I know we read Genesis and like, what's the big deal? Let me tell you what the big deal is. The issue was about what kingdom is going to govern us. See, God is saying, I am your provider, I am creator, but you also need to know me as Lord. Don't touch that tree. You can have everything else, but don't touch that one. God has given them everything. Why do we look at the one thing he says he can't have? And God is mean. God is strict. God, God, no, he said, y'all can have all of this. Just don't touch this. This was about kingdoms. You understand. This is about what order is going to have dominion in the earth. And we know what Adam and Eve did. Instead of listening to God, instead of obeying God, they listened to another voice, the voice of Satan, the serpent, another kingdom. That's what this whole thing is about, two kingdoms, God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom, which is the kingdom of self. Why? Because that was Satan's sin. I will be like the Most High. I will be like God. I will ascend. I, I, I. So why do you think we struggle with me, 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 I, I, I? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they surrendered themselves to the lordship of Satan and his kingdom. They rejected God's rule. God isn't going to rule us. We rule ourselves. That's why everything in our culture, particularly in the West, in the democracy, is all about us. So do you see what Jesus is coming to deal with? It's not just about the empires happening then. Jesus is coming to deal with the entire root of the problem. No, let me deal with the real issue. I need to bring God's rule back. So then when we talk about being good news, People, what is the good news? The good news is that the rule and reign of God has returned to earth. You know what it means 
Just like Adam and Eve, when they sinned, and now see, when you reject God, we rejected our covering, so now we have to cover ourselves. And all we're left with is shame and guilt, so they sow fig leaves to cover themselves up, and guess what? Humanity's been doing that ever since. We've been sowing fig leaves. Maybe it's not leaves, but it's all kinds of other things. We're, we're looking to creation to feel, fulfill something. The good news of the gospel is you don't have to sow fig leaves anymore. The king has returned. God's order has returned. But we've got to get to our rightful place. What is that place? Surrender to God. Surrender to his lordship. I told you this is a political conversation. God's kingdom is about every aspect of our lives. You understand? It's, if you think it's just about coming in here on a Sunday morning, you completely missed it. This is what Jesus is doing when he goes around preaching the good news of what? The kingdom. So every time he heals people, he's saying, see, this is what the kingdom is like. There's no sickness. There's wholeness. He raises someone from the dead. There's no death in my kingdom. He's reversing the effects of the fall. He's reversing what sin has done to us and is still doing to us. This is the king that we serve. This is why the people then missed it because they're just thinking right here in this political context. He said, no, I'm dealing with all of humanity, the whole thing. So you ask me, what, what does God's kingdom have to say about these issues we face? This is what, this is what Jesus came to do. That's the good news of the gospel. The king has returned. We've been trying to govern ourselves for a long time, and it's not working. It shows up time and time again in oppressive governments, empires, on and on it goes. All of those things find their root in a humanity that has left God and said, we're going to do what we want. It's just different iterations. It shows up different ways. Different empires. We keep trying to govern ourselves. I said God's kingdom governs our entire lives. And this is what Jesus preached. This is what he's doing as he's teaching people. This is the culture of my kingdom. Kingdom culture. I, can, I just want to borrow that from, from the late Dr. Miles Monroe, who would talk about that, the culture of the kingdom of God. So why do you think we love our neighbor as ourselves? Why is it that we don't put any other God before God Almighty? That's the culture of the kingdom. It's what we do. It's who we are. Why do we live in sexual purity and not like the world? Because that's our culture. That's what we do. It's who we are. Why do we love our enemies? Pray for those who misuse us and abuse us. That's our culture. That's what we do. Because that's what our king does. You, you see, you have to understand what a kingdom, a kingdom reflects the will of the king. The culture of the king. The king's word is law. Yeah. 
right? What the king says goes, and there is no negotiation. So you don't have a different perspective than Jesus. You don't disagree with Jesus on sexuality. You don't disagree with Jesus on how we manage our money, on how we treat people. Let me tell you what it means. When you have a different perspective than Jesus, there are words to describe what that means. Insurrection, disobedience, rebellion, insubordination. You following me? <laughs> we don't come up with our own ideas. Are you crazy? Have you lost it? But this is where we miss it. You asking me the question, Tim, how many genders are there? Yes, I'm going there this morning. I say, in the beginning, God created us male and female. That's the kingdom. In a culture that says you can be whatever you want. Oh, there are 100 plus. I know I'm making people mad. I don't care. This is about the kingdom of God. You don't come up with your own ideas. God's rule governs our entire life. You don't make this up. I said this is a political conversation this morning. Yeah. Help me, Holy Spirit. Far too often, I've got to ask you this question. Let me ask you, let me bring, bring it more home. What are your politics? What are your political beliefs? I'll show you where I'm going. Good news, people, far too often, far too often we have become tied to political parties and interests. Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, etc. Let me say something. The kingdom of God is not about we the people. Now, I love living in this nation. I thank God for the freedoms. But we are also citizens of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is not about we the people. It's about God. And that's the challenge we have, which is why the church, unfortunately, we lose our prophetic voice when we could become so tied to Democrat, so tied to Republican, so tied to these parties. Don't get me wrong. I vote. But those parties don't have my ultimate allegiance. That's all I'm saying. Notice, you didn't hear me say don't vote. Yes, I vote. We live in this world. God's people lived in the real world. They still had to deal with the Roman Empire. They still had to deal with the Jewish leaders. But their understanding was, we're part of another kingdom. We're a part of another order. And that's what ultimately governs us. See, God's kingdom, like I said, is... It's our entire lives. So what are your political beliefs? And I just dare you. I dare you. It's okay. I understand you might have, well, because of certain things, you know, I tend to vote Democrat. Or because of these issues, I tend to vote Republican. Listen, I'm not mad at you. I'm just simply saying that can't be your ultimate, that can't have your ultimate allegiance. 
And, and I think if we're doing that, we need to check ourselves, church. I'm not coming at you. We can have healthy debate, healthy disagreement. But I dare you when somebody asks you, what are your political beliefs? I'm a follower of Jesus, first and foremost. I dare you. Just try that. Yeah, I vote. Yes, don't get me wrong. I do vote. But what drives my vote? What drives the way that I think? The way that I do things? It's the kingdom of God. Jesus, uh, excuse me, John writes in John 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus says this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I, get this, chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. All these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Being good news people says that we are of a kingdom that's not of this world. That means we are not of this world. This world does not own who I am or define who I am. The beauty of the gospel in the areas where we struggle with who we are, struggle with our identity. We're in a culture that is crying out for identity, hurting for identity and is looking in all kinds of places. The good news of the kingdom says, let God define you. Let the creator define who you are. Let him determine who you are. This is political. Paul writes in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, Paul is someone who understands citizenship. He's a member of the Jewish community. Also, he's a Roman citizen. He was born a Roman citizen. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, later in the book of Acts, <laughs> he actually uses his Roman citizenship. He's like in the middle of getting beat, <laughs> you know, because he's preaching the gospel, he's getting beat, and he's like, I'm a Roman citizen. The soldiers stop beating him. They're like, they're terrified because there are laws in Rome about how you treat Roman citizens. And he uses his citizenship to appeal to Caesar. So, yeah, thank God for citizenship. We live in this country. So I'm telling you right now, when you leave today, you have to stop at a red light. Amen. We still live in this world. We still have to function in this world, okay? Please respect the laws. Amen. I, hear so, I can hear somebody now. You know, God's kingdom is over all. I'm not stopping at this red light anymore. No, you need to stop. Amen. <laughs> yes, but when our government treads on God's law, we reject that. We rebel against that. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are, are preaching the good news of Jesus, and the religious leaders tell them, you need to stop teaching in this name. And they say, listen, you decide which is better. Should we obey you or God? We have to obey God. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
being good news people. Can we be identified as that? As good news people, we have to present the whole message of God's kingdom. Yes, the love and the mercy and the truth, but he's Lord and not us. I'm not the center anymore. But like the people, there's a tendency to use Jesus for our own ends rather than submitting to his kingdom. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, as a follower of Jesus, you can only be Democrat light or Republican light. Where's your ultimate allegiance? That's the question. And it should be that even if you vote a particular way, that when that party pushes ideas and policies that are contrary to the will of God, that you challenge it. One of the things that, that breaks my heart so much is when I see Christians that are so much into Democrat and Republican that when they do something wrong, they can't call it out. Just say wrong is wrong, evil is evil. Because they're so locked into a party, a system. Good news people. This is what it means to be the church. You know that word? The Greek word there is ekklesia. Ekklesia, which is people called out for a special purpose. But actually, it's not technically a religious term. It's technically a political term. In the Greek culture, Greco-Roman world, an ecclesia was a political body. It was a gathering of citizens who would meet and discuss state affairs, governmental affairs. So if I understand it in that context, Jesus is making a very political statement when he says, on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. People in that culture understood what ecclesia meant. It was very political, folks, not religious. Our citizenship is in heaven. You know what that means, what we're called to be? We're called to be an embassy of heaven. That when people come in here, not just come in these doors, when they encounter you, they are encountering the kingdom of God. Just like when I go to another country and walk into a U.S. embassy, when I step in that U.S. embassy, I'm on U.S. soil. In fact, when you look throughout Scripture, Paul uses political language so much. You are ambassadors of God. You know what an ambassador is? It represents a nation. People know this language. They understand these terms. It's the same for us being good news people. For good news people, our political answers begin. They always begin with God. Is this our approach this morning? That's my, the question I want to leave you with. Is this your approach? Does your allegiance to Christ trump any other Allegiance. 
Do you recognize that Jesus governs your entire life? And we're not just talking about my actions, even my thought life. He's Lord over all of it. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus elevates ethics. He doesn't lower them. You heard, don't commit adultery. Here's what I say to you. You look at a woman with lustful intentions. You've already committed adultery in my kingdom. What? In this sex-crazed, sex-saturated culture, Jesus is checking the motives of my heart. Yeah, yeah, the minute you said in your heart yes to that idea, he said, you've sinned already. I've sinned, and I didn't even take my clothes off yet. That's Jesus. You've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. <laughs> Let me tell you, you're angry with somebody without a reason, you're a murderer. What? That's the king we serve. See, the Christian community rocked, rocked the Roman Empire. They saw the generosity of Christians who not only took care of their own poor, but Roman uh, poor. They're like, goodness, these Christians are generous, but when it comes to the bedroom, they strict. They not giving it up like that. Completely different culture, completely different mindset. Does God's kingdom govern us? Cece, you can come on up, bro. I just want you to take a brief moment and reflect. As we reflect, as Jesus is Heading toward the cross, Good Friday, we're going to celebrate that. I want you to think about the implications of God's kingdom. God's kingdom that rules every part. And imagine what that will do in our circles when we are living out of that. It's a shame when we are as sexually immoral as the culture. It's a shame that when we come in here, there's so much slander and gossip as in the culture. Is that who we're called to be? Or can we be a church where there are issues and grievances that we can talk to each other, that we can listen to each other, that people can come in here and feel the love of God with all of their different struggles and concerns? Can they see a king who says, I'm calling you to myself? Good news people, as I stated before, means that God's kingdom rules over every aspect of our lives. And I believe that when we live that out, we'll have different reactions. Some people will be attracted to that. Some people will be repulsed by that. Yeah, following Jesus, everybody's not going to be happy about it. Light penetrates darkness. Everyone's not going to like what we have to say. And some people just won't be able to figure us out. I don't get y'all. Why do you love the way you love? Why do you live like that? 
Really? You don't do what you want with your body? Hmm. I don't get that. Lord, I pray for your people this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you truly did come, that the kingdom of God has come here and now. And as good news people, Lord, we reflect on that truth, that it is your kingdom that has come. Help us, Holy Spirit, to surrender to that truth. That in everything is your servants as citizens of your country. Whatever the topic, whatever the issue, we come to you and we say, Lord, what have you said? What do you say about this, God? Lord, that we no longer look to our feelings, our thoughts, our ideas, our culture, but we say, God, what do you say? And may you be glorified in us and may people see the truth of who you are today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.